0: going to speak tonight, but we have a video don 't we all right i 'm going to get Jen to come up and, and preface our video because i wasn 't listening at the meeting that we had
1: <laughs> good evening good evening well, Pastor Sheridan, my husband is in India. Uh, And he was there, for those of you that don't know, also for those of you that do know and we're praying for him, that he actually got there in the first place, uh, that he um, tested negative before he went from COVID. Yes, he had that lurgy. He tested negative the day before he went. So thank you for your prayers. Wonderful. Yes, he got there. And he he is there, was there for um, the commissioning of Samuel and Ruby. They are our family, you may not have met them, but they are our family in the Punjab in India, and Samuel and Ruby are uh, going to be taking up the church, the leadership of the church from Sarinda and Reshma, Uh, so Sheridan was there to commission them. So Sheridan got a little clip for us to see Samuel and Ruby, so if you turn your eyes to the screen, have a look. Church. I am Samuel. I am Ruby from Activate Church, Punjab. Thank you for sending Pastor Sheridan. We are happy here, and we are looking forward to what God will do in our lives and everyone's life. We are so happy. Thank you all. Thank you. Give it up for Samuel and Ruby saying yes to God. So thank you, God, for their yes. We thank you, God, that we get to partner with them. They partner with us. We thank you that they are family. And God, we declare your blessing poured out over them, your protection over them as they take up this leadership. I pray that they would uh, continually know who they are in you, Lord, and give them much joy on this journey. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
0: Well, that's exciting, eh? I've, uh, I've had the privilege of going to the Punjab, and it's an incredible place. Beautiful people, beautiful people, and amazing food. Some of it's quite hot. <laughs> Which I... Uh, uh, I got my thing unlocked quicker than you. <laughs> wow. That is something, because... Um, age is apparently... Something that people, hang on that, sorry, words also struggle. Uh, <laughs> technology is something that, that older people apparently struggle with. And someone, I won't mention any names, Josh Duckett, <laughs> called me the Silver Fox. <laughs> I feel like that'll be a compliment in a few years' time, but I don't know. M- maybe not just yet. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, um, I am going to speak tonight. But I'm going to give you permission, if you want to, to ignore everything I say and just hone in on what Liam said tonight. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing I can say that is more important than what he alluded tonight, how much Jesus loves us. I'll be a little bit bummed if you do ignore everything I say, but in saying that, God loves you so much, and that was an incredible word, so... um. Yeah, give Liam a pat on the back. (laughs) No, okay. (laughs) Such a leader, Rachel. (laughs) I love how you owned it, though. (laughs)
1: That
0: was great. Okay. Okay. Well, we are continuing in our Still still Standing series. Uh, And I'm going to share a verse with you. Uh, now that I want you to keep in mind as we're speaking tonight, and I'm going to finish with it as well. Uh, and it is the words of John the Baptist, uh, and this is something that God's been speaking, me, speaking to me about. So basically what I want to talk about tonight is being a disciple of Jesus, and really to pull that bang, what does is, what is a disciple of Jesus look like? What are, we, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to look? How are we different? Uh, and I reckon the words of John the Baptist pretty much sums up what a disciple should look like. So this is John talking about Jesus. He said, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. So keep those words in mind as we speak tonight. All right, so we are continuing in our still... Five words in. (laughs) It's old age. Yeah, that's that's still... Anyway, okay. So we are continuing in our still standing series Uh, And if you're new to church or you haven't been around for a few weeks, Still Standing Series is all about spiritual warfare. Uh, And so the greatest thing we can do is acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. So not only have we looked that we are in a spiritual battle but we've learned so much about the authority we have as Christians, what weapons we have as Christians and we've looked at things like um, the armour of God and all those incredible things So if you've missed any of it and it really interests you, go back and watch some of the past messages that that our pastors have done. Because there's some gold in there and it'll help you in this area. So I said before that today I want to preach a simple message about being a disciple of Jesus and what that may look like. Because I think a real key to still be standing when we come up against spiritual battles is to walk as God intended us to walk for those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. That's what I want to talk about. What should our lives look like as disciples of Jesus? And more importantly, what does my life look like? Personalize it a little bit. Now, so I want to start off with this thought. If I got you to put your hand up, if you think you're a disciple of Jesus, how many of us will put our hands up? Great. Some of you think this is a trap. I'm not putting my hand up. So rightly so. But today I want to go a little deeper than that. And ask uh, by asking, uh, what does my word say? No, that's not what I want to ask. Today I want to go a little deeper than just asking, "Am I a disciple?" And I want to ask, "What does the life of a disciple of Jesus look like?" And then we can hold up our own life and can com- compare it to, compare it to that. Now. As we do that, there could be the temptation to look at your own life with a sense of shame or a sense of disappointment if you look at your life compared to what you think a disciple of Jesus should look like, and it doesn't match up. Can I say, join the club. We are all on a journey. So this message may be challenging, but I pray above being challenging that it is freeing. Because regardless of how you walked into church tonight, you can walk out differently with a renewed sense of... Uh, and a renewed purpose to look and talk and walk as Jesus intended you to do. So I heard a quote a few weeks ago that really caught my attention and is basically the preface for this message tonight or the reason that I wrote this message. This quote challenged the way I viewed my faith. It challenged the way I pastored a church. But mostly it challenged the way my life looks as a Christian, as a disciple. So here it is. Are you ready? Great. Great. Since World War II, the Western Church has made it possible for people to become Christians without becoming disciples of Jesus. So I'll read that again. Since World War II, the Western Church has made it possible for people to become Christians without becoming disciples of Jesus. So I share this statement not as a judgment of of church or any churches, but more as a conversation starter so that we can hold up our own lives and go, Uh, does my faith look like that? Do I look like a disciple of Jesus? Now I personally remember thinking as I read that quote, am I a dedicated disciple of Jesus? Am I passionate about my Lord? Does my life look differently? Or am I a Christian by title only? And there's actually no fruit or evidence of that in my life. Now as we ask ourselves these questions, I don't actually think it's quite as black and white as yes I am this or I am that. Sometimes it will depend on Uh, what my day has looked like. Sometimes it'll depend on the season of life that I'm walking through. Sometimes it just depends on whether I've had a coffee or not. (laughs) Some of you can relate. So also, as we talk about these questions that may be challenging, remember, God is so gracious and so loving and so patient that he will walk through those times with us when we couldn't honestly call ourselves a passionate disciple because perhaps we're distracted or perhaps we're not doing so well in life or any of those things. But at the same time, he will continue to call out of us who we are meant to be. So first question I have, what is a disciple of Jesus? It's a pretty pretty simple question. What makes us a disciple? And as a disciple, what should our life look like? Should there be something different about my life as a disciple compared to someone who doesn't have faith, so isn't a disciple? And if our life as believers, as believers is meant to look differently to people who don't have faith, what makes our life look that way? What's the difference? The simple answer to that question is someone who follows Jesus. And that following Jesus is also the cause of what our life will look different, is, is, is the cause for why our life, looks, our life looks differently. Those words are hard, aren't they? It's old age. No. <laughs> Thanks, Monique. All right. So I love this quote from desiringgod.com. Being a disciple refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Apply this to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Apply to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Following Jesus is the change agent that makes us look more and more like him and less and less like the world. Now for those of you who, who before when we asked the question, what is your look like? your life looked like compared to a disciple, and you felt a bit disappointed with your life? Well, I reckon it's an important distinction to make that a disciple is not a perfect disciple. It's someone who follows Jesus. Have you ever read the, uh, the Gospels and the disciples and, and some of their absolute monumental mistakes that they made quite severely? One of them betrayed Jesus, but was still loved by Jesus. So I became a Christian when I was 21. I remember aspects of my life before I gave my life to Jesus, so before I was a disciple. I wasn't living a wild life where I was addicted to drugs or I was messing around with girls or where I'd hit rock bottom, but I knew my life wasn't quite right. There was something missing in my life. I remember a sense of hopelessness which would manifest itself in a fear of the future and a real fear of my own mortality. I remember feeling desperately lonely, even when I was in a room full of people. I remember feeling like my life had no significance and no purpose, even when I had almost everything I could ever want. I had dirt bikes. I had great friends. I had a rally car. I I know, right? But still, my life felt empty. My life wasn't bad before Christ, but there was something missing. It lacked significance. It lacked purpose. So I found Christ on a camping trip at Lake Tarawera. Has anyone ever been to Lake Tarawera? Great. Can anyone say that better than me? Tarawera. Yeah, great. Because I preached this message a few weeks back, and Jim just cringed, put her head in her hands, and said, "Oh." So we went to a place called the Outlet on Lake Tarawera, which is a beautiful place. <laughs> People laughing at me. <laughs> Let's just call it the lake. <laughs> so, we went to the, the a place called the lake. The lake, the outlet on the lake, uh, and it's called the outlet because this is the river that comes out of the lake, and that's where um, that particular lake empties. <laughs> and it's beautiful. You can camp there, uh, and to get to it, you have to go through. <laughs> set myself up here. Carroll. K- <laughs> there we go. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have to drive for like an hour and a half on this dirt road to get to a place called the Outlet. Uh, Anyway, so this place is beautiful, and this is where I found Christ. Not because of the place itself was beautiful, but because of the people that I got to go camping with. So I was camping with a bunch of my friends. None of us were Christians. We had bought so much alcohol, that was no mistaking, we we were there for one reason, really. But the cousins of my friends came camping with us, Uh, they were three girls, and unbeknown to me, they were Christian girls. They were actually missionaries from Botswana on holiday in New Zealand. And I thought, cool, they're the same age as me, so I'm thinking, cool, girls. (laughs) Because that's what non-Christian males sometimes think. Thank God I've got Jesus now. And I thought, yeah, cool, girls. Uh, But I never entered a relationship with any of them. I got on really, really well with one, one of them in particular. But what I saw in her was everything that I was lacking. She had hope and purpose and life and a call. She knew who she was because she knew whose she was. And so I left this camping trip. And I thought, I need to find out what they had. And so I uh, went and started hanging out with a mate of mine who lived on a neighboring dairy farm, which was what I was doing at the time. I was milking cows. And I started going to church with him. And two months after this camping trip, I sat on my bed and I gave my life to Jesus. I remember those feelings of purpose and joy and freedom and hope like I had never experienced before. That in itself is a good lesson right there. You never know who's watching you. You never know who's observing you. You have something that every single person in this world needs. So, my second point, and I hope this doesn't sound like heresy, are you pursuing the right form of Christianity? Those feelings of joy and peace and freedom that I felt when I gave my life to Jesus were amazing, but do you know those feelings were a byproduct? I know that sounds like heresy, but I got to experience those feelings, not for the sake of feeling good feelings, but because of the decision I'd made to follow Jesus and what that meant for my life here on earth, and what that meant for my life in eternity. My life, my new life as a Christian, where I was free from sin, where I had the promise of eternal life, where I was free from shame and condemnation, where I felt peace, where I felt free and unburdened, where I was now alive in Christ with a God-given call and purpose, were all the result of Jesus and what he had done, and all I had to do was put my faith in him. And follow him. Those things came from choosing to give my life to Jesus, to follow him and to become his disciple. Now we live in a world that is selfish and entitled, which is the complete opposite life that we're supposed to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. But because we live in this world, sometimes the waters get muddied. And here's what I mean by that. For Christians, we have to be careful we aren't chasing the bright the byproducts or the benefits or the blessings of being a disciple instead of chasing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, but seek, his, uh, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 38. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. We all want to be blessed, but we're not called to pursue blessings. We love those amazing spiritual experiences we have here in this room and in other churches, but we're not called to chase those experiences. We're called to chase Jesus. And then when we find him, we have those experiences. We all want to experience peace, joy, freedom, purpose, and hope, but those things come from pursuing Jesus. So when I ask, are you pursuing the right form of Christianity? What I am saying is, are you following Jesus and Jesus only? Because as a disciple, that's what we are called to do. Is your trust and faith in Jesus or in the blessings that come from Jesus? Does your faith rise and fall on the circumstances of life that are fleeting and uncertain? Or does your faith remain constant through every season? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Being a disciple requires us to lay our life down and make Him Lord. It requires us to follow Him, learn from Him, and live like Him. Following anything else apart from Jesus, even things that appear good, will always take you to a place you never intended to go. So, being a disciple requires us to follow Him only. So, the world will tell us that our job, our finances, our rights, our agenda, our offenses, our family, our friends, our blessings. So basically living for ourselves is where we will find happiness happiness or contentment or purpose. But true purpose, true contentment, real joy, unwavering hope is only found when we do the exact opposite to that, die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Following anything else apart from Jesus is a bit like following Google Maps or GPS navigation systems in the old days when they first came out. <laughs> has anyone ever had an experience with Apple Maps or Apple Maps, that's terrible, eh? Apple Maps or or Google Maps or a GPS system which has uh, led you in the wrong direction? Yes. yes. Ask people who are older when, when their systems were as good. <laughs> no, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you look what like you've done, Josh. Where is he? <laughs> okay, for all of us. In fact, I can prove it because I was in Taupo a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were at a restaurant and we decided we're going to walk back to our hotel. There's uh, three or four of us. And so I put into Google, I knew the way it was, I wasn't lost, but I put into Google Maps just to see how many kilometers it was. Instead of taking us down the road, so there was no turning at all, we just had to go from this spot to that spot down the road, uh, and I just wanted to see how far it was, so I knew how far I was walking, so I knew how much of a man I was to be walking that far after a meal. And um, instead of taking me from point A to point B, it took me from point A, three kilometres up to the roundabout up the road, do a, you, do a turn around the roundabout, and then come back to the point where I was standing, and then... Back down to where the hotel. Oh, it was like nine kilometers instead of four kilometers. Anyway, what was my point? <laughs> so, it's easy to blindly and confidently follow the instructions given by our navigation systems, thinking you'll end up somewhere amazing, only to find you some find yourself somewhere you never intended to go, it taking a lot longer to get there, or you end up getting stuck. So. I feel like we need to have some examples of this, and I found some great ones on the internet. In early May, a driver on the Upper West Side of Manhattan was trying to make his way to New Jersey. But somewhere around 88th Street, the GPS he was following led him astray. The driver turned west, but instead of turning onto a street, his sedan headed down some flights of stairs to the Riverside Park. The car and the driver were stuck on the stairs, until a tow truck could erase the evidence of this very public wrong turn that their GPS had told them to make. I know. All right, how about this? Three Japanese tourists in Australia used their GPS to plan a drive to North Stradbrook Island. Anyone been to North Stradbrook Island? No, one. okay, that's all right. Just off the So North Stradbrook, North Stradbrook Island is just off the coast of Brisbane. I know, I'm not sure drive and off the coast should be in the same sentence. What their GPS didn't account for was the nine miles of water dividing the island from the mainland. The road turned to gravel, then to thick mud, then to gentle lapping of water against the tyres. The, th- the three were forced to abandon the vehicle and return on foot. Passengers aboard the passing ferry, which is the may- way you're meant to get to the island, reported watching the whole embarrassing event unfold. A tow truck gave the poor tourists a ride back, and the car, not being worth the repair, was sent to the dump. Oh. Alright, one more. more. <clears throat> Early one foggy Saturday morning in 2011, so that's a few years ago, eh? Some of you probably weren't even born. (laughs) So early uh, one foggy Saturday morning in 2011, a father was driving his wife and two kids through south of Brunswick, New Jersey. When they got to a T intersection, a T intersection, the only options are left or right. The driver opted instead to follow his GPS guidance and go straight. He missed the initial stop sign, ran over the lip of the curb, and continued another 100 feet before hitting a house. I know. (laughs) I guess it was foggy. (laughs) These drivers blindly, blindly followed what seemed right but in the end, it ended up them getting stuck or crashing into a house. When we blindly follow what seems right to us, if it isn't Jesus, we will end up stuck or we'll end up in places we never intended to go or it'll end up taking a really, really long time to get to the place that God intended for us. So I'm gonna finish up soon. But I titled this message, What Needs to Change. Change is a decision that we make daily, daily as disciples of Jesus to lay our stuff down and to trust him with it and to follow him and to follow him. And change is a process that takes time. If you know you're not following Jesus like you should, then today you can make the decision to change that. And then tomorrow, make the decision again. And then again, and then again, and then again. Salvation and eternal life has this paradox because they are free gifts from God. They cost us nothing. Yet they should cost us everything as we take up our cross, lay down our lives, and we choose to live for him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So thinking back to my salvation story, before I became a Christian, you remember I said I had all these cool things? I had dirt bikes, I had great friends, I had a rally car, I know. Well, today, 23 years later, I still have some of those cool things, like a dirt bike. Some of those cool things I don't have anymore. So what's my point? Laying down your life doesn't mean giving up everything you have that you love and becoming a monk. A better way to look at it is offering everything you have with open hands to God and trusting Him with it and knowing He's faithful. Trusting that whatever He decides to do with it, whatever He decides to do with your life, whatever He decides to do with your stuff, is way better than what you've decided. Which brings us back to our main thought about being a disciple and following Jesus. When I offer up my stuff, my hopes and dreams, I no longer follow those things because I'm following Jesus and I'm trusting him with those things. So what does following Jesus look like? Because you could think, well, that sounds like a bit of an abstract concept. What does that mean? Following Jesus is not an abstract concept. But something each and every one of us has to be purposed in daily. Purpose to pray. Purpose to read his word. Purpose to serve others. Purpose to listen when he's telling you something. Following Jesus and being his disciple is a decision that has intentionality and action to it. So I'm going to finish with those words that I started with right at the beginning from John the Baptist. For us, disciples of Jesus, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less.